Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Laura. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lore, is the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Nick, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, my name is Nick. Uh, I work at an indie game company called Co-op. Um, and uh, in terms of plugs, um, I've been listening to a lot of these two bands recently. One is Elder, a uh, stoner metal band. Uh, I think they're Americans, but they're operating out of Berlin. Very good, um, drony, uh, plotting type of band that has four songs per album, but each song is 12 to 15 minutes long. And the other band is Hakobune, um, H-A-K-O-B-U-N-E. Uh, it's a Japanese guitarist, plays through a system of, or a series of pedals, and uh, creates these sort of really dreamy, uh, ambient soundscapes that are really, really beautiful and extremely uh, different and relaxing each time. I uh, really, really appreciate uh, that music. So, two very droney, guitar-heavy, but very different types of music. Laura, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Yeah, uh, I also make video games. I make big video games during the day and small video games at night. I don't have anything personal to plug, but I've been watching a lot of movies by Johnny Toe, and I think you should too. So I'll plug him. He's a great Chinese movie director that makes gangster films, including Election, which is really good, and Throwdown. Ah, starring Reese Witherspoon and Matthew Broderick. No, the other one, the other one. Uh, Oh, oh, oh. The original. this, This election is about gangsters who elect their own leader and about how politics is merely rituals we use to disguise interpersonal violence and the, the right to be perceived as human. Anyway, it's very good, but I actually think the better movie is Throwdown, which is a movie about a disgraced judo expert who lives in a world where like everybody knows judo for some reason, and they all fight each other with judo all the time. It is a beautiful movie. I really liked it. Cool. Nice. Are you ready to start on some topics? I love topics. Let's do it. Laura, your topic is, can the biological function of expelling waste be improved in any way? Should humans expel waste differently? Yeah, I think they should. Seems like a hassle that we have to deal with waste in, in its current form. I think birds have an edge on us in that they, they seem to remove more liquid from their waste. So maybe we should do the same. Maybe we should do bird shits. The real advantage I think birds have is they just go wherever, whenever. Yeah, well, we can't, we can't do that and expect to enjoy the the outdoors in our cities the way we do now. So <laughs> No, it's a, we're, it's a little bit dense. I think that human waste should take up a lot less space and mass, and we should have more control over when we eliminate it. So I'm feeling like mm-hmm. maybe there should be like a nozzle in your wrist like Spider-Man, and there should be like a vent. Yeah, so you can, you can spray muggers. Yeah, but like even better, <laughs> like there should be a hole in the wall, and you have like full control over when you expel waste into this like vent or whatever. And then you just, you just like shoot it into the wall. It doesn't take up a lot of space. It's homogenous. There's not like multiple types of waste, you know, just, it's just like a slurry, yeah, just like a slurry, like birds. And you, you just like shoot it into a, into sort of like a trash disposal and, and it's all homogeneously removed at once. I think that would be superior. Have you ever seen one of those like razor blade disposal slots in old like houses built yes. in the forties or Oh, they're so cool. That book for shitting. I have not. That book, wow. well, so that book for shitting, but the thing about those slots is that they don't have any sort of collection mechanism. Those just like, they just go right into the wall and like fall down like like <laughs> into the drywall. Yeah, that was a problem. This is the problem of the future yes. now. <laughs> yes. It's, it's so whoever just, whoever needs to remodel this house, they're going to break open this wall and like uh, thousands of razor blades are going to spill out. This is so. This is what you're positing for for our our waste. Just fill the crawl space with it. Yeah. I I I think we should go to the future now first. I think that there should be a big wall hole and maybe like a wall tank, right? But that all the okay. There, there, yeah. there should be an outflow of some kind. We we can do that at least. We're that smart, right? Or we could put like a photograph in there and like a floppy disk and say it's a time capsule. So whoever just the worst time capsule. Whoever opens this wall gets a huge t- like a ton of shit and then one floppy. Did you see that? Um, there's like a popular YouTuber now who's who's like, oh, in the in the Netherlands we do everything in a genius way, but everywhere else, you, <laughs> like you agree with him, but also he's snooty. Have you seen this guy? I don't think I have. No, he's he makes a lot of biking no. content, but every once in a while he also is like the the genius Dutch have created a, a new method of doing cities. 
that no one else does. And the one that apparently went super viral was about the uh, the dumpsters that all empty into these giant underground containers. And then the dumpster and the container itself are both lifted out of the ground, like some modular waste package. And then there's like an arm that puts it over like another container and like all the waste comes out and then it puts the dumpster slash underground waste cistern back into the hole. Apparently this is how they do it uh, in some places. I, I, I think I'm mostly remembering that correctly. Anyway, we should do that, but for shitting. If like Elon Musk got really into shit, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, this is like, we'll just dig more holes, I guess. I just want to launch my shit into space. I guess the idea <laughs> is that this is a dumpster that doesn't need to be wheeled around, but instead it's like right up next to the street and it's bigger than it looks like there's some kind of underground waste cistern. We could do that. You know, we could have instead yeah. instead of leaving the waste there for a hundred years with a photograph, we could have like a waste hole in the street, and you shoot your still with a photograph. Yeah, still with a photograph. You shoot it in there, and then a dump truck dump truck comes by like once a week with like a crane arm on it and lifts it out. I mean, I was thinking that like this this system, you know, if you had uh, the nozzle like yeah in your wrist or somewhere like that would be great for gardeners. Um, you know, you could sort of. Uh, more accurately plan your your fertilizing schedule. Yeah. Um, with the current system of uh, waste disposal, it's it's not really um, collectible and uh, manageable for you know the individual homeowner. But if you could just sort of you know sprinkle a little bit um, over your uh, spinach plants or something uh, on a whim, I feel like that could be uh, could be a savings. That's true. The thing that I would want to do, to do differently if I could change pooping is I want to poop like once a month. So, like, all the time that I spend on the toilet now, I want to do it all, like, all in one day. Like, block out, like, 12 hours that day for pooping. And then I'm done. Like, I got the rest of the month poop-free. That would be interesting. I can't decide whether I would like that more or less. I can't decide if I would like, like, if everyone had the same day to do that. Or if, you know, we would have to sort of get, uh, you know, a license. Or, like, you know, in um, certain cities only... People with uh, odd-numbered license plates can drive on a given day. Oh, yeah. If you'd be like, you know, your social insurance number ends in whatever. So, uh, you know, March uh, 31st will be it's, – it's your day on the can. I thought you meant like everybody would poop on the same day. <laughs> and after the 12-hour block is over, like the, mm -hmm. the plumbing system for the city just explodes. I mean, that's one option, right? You know, you'd have to build towards that, but um, – you know, give everyone the day off. It's it's poop day, everyone. Yeah. It's happening. I think this means that <laughs> pooping facilities would need to be much more robust, ro robust than they currently are. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So instead of just, like, public toilets, there would be, like, a pooping facility that's, like, capable of taking X number of people for a whole day. It would be like a sauna. It would be like a, like a, a finished sauna. I'm worried that this would make pooping much more monetizable, that people would begin <laughs> offering, for example, more elite pooping facilities, and that if you don't have access to, like, a, like a gym membership to the pooping facility, <laughs> that people are going to treat you poorly and make you poop in, like, a really nasty place. Like, if you have, for, for example, if you live in the United States, you would absolutely be condemned to some sort of low-quality poop zone, and then m more... Uh, community-minded countries would probably have like a, a luxury poop villa that you're pooping in once per month. You'd have like private security guards guarding your, you know, poop zones. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, like how you sometimes see locks on dumpsters. You see locks on dumpsters? <laughs> right. I've seen that. Like in, I presumably this is when, this happens when like too many people who like need to dump like, oh, I just... Like carpet removers, they need to get rid of a truck full of carpet, so they just find a dumpster that's not locked. Oh, yeah. And, and fill it up. Mm -hmm. I thought you meant that people were trying to prevent people from taking things out of the dumpster. Yeah, no, it's 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 very, very important, this trash. Yeah, this is this is my hole, and I get to dump trash in it, and no one else does. Right. I mean, I get that. Like, I when I first moved out on my own, um, uh, just based on the setup of, like, the frontage of the building that I was living in. 
people would just sort of like drop all of their trash into my recycling bin and into my garbage bin. And I was like, I oh, now I, I have to sort this stuff, <laughs> um, you know, and it sort of grinded my gears, but I sort of learned to live with it uh, without a lock on my garbage. Um, it seems, it seems a bit, you know, um, seems like you're instituting like a class-based system of like throwing out your trash or something. This would certainly be the result of, I think any, any type of pooping that was not an afterthought kind of experience, you know? People would be like, oh, we can disrupt shitting, and then you'd have to deal with that. <laughs> How can we monetize pooping? How can we monetize pooping teens better? What do teens love to do? They love to poop. <laughs> How do we meet them where they are? Are we ready for another topic? I believe so. Sure. Nick, your topic is The Hobbit, Dope Smoker Edition. Brackets, it's great. So this was something brought to my attention, uh, I believe, about a year ago, uh, 2021. I don't even know the what this guy does, but he's he's a person on Twitter, um, <laughs> and he took the album "Dope Smoker" by the band Sleep, um, which sort of planked my my uh, my tastes. Um, another sort of stoner metal album. I think it's three a total of three songs, maybe just two, but the album's about an hour long, an hour and a bit. Um, and I think, yeah, about a year ago, maybe a bit before that, he just uploaded a clip of that album playing over the um, 1977 uh, animated uh, version of The Hobbit. And I, I suppose got a, a pretty decent response to that. A bit like playing, you know, Pink Floyd's uh, The Wall over, um, is it 2001 or is it Wizard of Oz? Or either or, probably. Um, I always heard about like Wizard played, of Oz, but now I want to try both. Yeah. I heard about 2001. Yeah, there, there definitely is something else that was played over 2001 i believe um and that that also just has a, a couple of yeah, maybe questionable like synergies but whatever um so this guy had a small clip of uh, dope smoker played over the hobbit and uh again later last year um released the whole version of it um you can just download the uh the whole movie with the whole album played on top of it um watched it recently i don't think there are any particularly um revelatory synchronicities in it the the album you know sort of true to a lot of stoner metal and to uh the band sleep in particular is extremely uh sludgy let's say just very grinding very plodding i guess is uh, a common adjective and played over you know a lot of uh strange animation i guess uh, or very 1970s animation let's call it like um, everyone in, in the Hobbit movie from 77 is extremely wrinkly, I noticed. Even <laughs> uh, Bilbo, who's supposed to be fairly young, he's just bags of skin, basically. That's just what that species looks like, I guess. Uh, I guess, yeah. Yeah, everyone is sort of like bulgy and craggy in a lot of weird ways. Um, and so you have... Uh, but, but, you know, there, there's still these these beautiful like landscape shots. And it is actually like, once you sort of get used to the uh, sort of very dated character designs... Um, it's it's really a, a beautiful movie. I'd never actually seen the uh, the original itself, so this was my one and only experience of the Hobbit movie from uh, nineteen seventy seven with yeah, just this sludgy stoner metal on top of it, and um, I highly recommend it. I I was joking that I think this may be the way Tolkien would have intended it. <laughs> it I mean, some people have called it a tone poem. Um, some people say they'll just like put it on their second monitor for this like really trance-like um, screensaver that they can just sort of look over at every now and again. Right. Um, and of course, you have you have this sort of familiar story of The Hobbit uh, sort of playing in the background, so you always sort of know roughly where you are. Um, so it is, uh, it's, I don't know, it's, it's a really, it was a re revelatory piece of uh, mashup culture to discover, and I recommend it. So Gandalf was definitely smoking some shit, right? Is this a thing, or is this something that the people joke about it only? He was smoking something canonically, and I believe that in the appendix of one of the books, Tolkien does explain precisely what it is pipeweed does to you. No. Yeah. I forget mm. what it was, but as, a, as like a third grader, I remember reading a whole appendix thing about Gandalf's smoking or about the Hobbit's smoking of pipeweed and like why they do it and being like, I guess that's what smoking is about. And then just moving <laughs> on with my life. Right. Right. I, I think, it, I mean, it wasn't wasn't explicitly narcotic, I don't think, but I think it, it did have sort of stimulating effects. So almost more like coffee, maybe. I, I may be remembering this wrong. I haven't read the appendices in quite some time. I think you're right. Except for, the, look, the other the other hint is his name. Oh, Token. Token? Yes. I yeah, see. That's what I was getting at. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Let's go with uh, that. 
All right, done. It's done. We did it. One of these days, a band is actually going to write an album deliberately synchronized to one of these movies and then wait for someone to find it. I mean, I feel like it's a lot of work if you don't know that someone's going to know, right? Yeah, maybe that's just my thing. I think that is your thing. I was going to (laughs) say that sounds like something you would do. Yep. I don't know if I know any musicians who would do that. I mean, I was I was gonna I was gonna joke that it's like in game design where you um you know you want to make sure the players see all your assets and all the work that went into them. But uh, true enough, um, living proof to the contrary, right here. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've seen a bunch of other people do it and fail horribly, and it's uh, so I have to say I don't recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it as far as I can tell, it only worked for me. But I feel like you sort of lose something if you set out to intentionally do it, at least in terms of the synchronicities between, um, uh, you know, movies and albums specifically. I don't know. I feel like if you set out to do it, it becomes obvious and it becomes kind of trite and played out. I think there was a talk at GDC, like in the ancient days, possibly when it was still CGDC. Ryan Moriarty of Loom had this great, great talk. It's like an hour long talk about the uh, Paul is Dead conspiracy oh about 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 secrets in general i think yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was a, that's a great talk it's fantastic stuff yeah and it's like you know again it's like an hour long and most of it is just like him talking about his experience uh talking to like other members of the community trying to solve like all of these riddles that they thought were present in in lyrics and liner notes and you know album covers i mean you know the cover of magical mystery tour is just rich and dense with information and you know, I, th- I thought it was like a really interesting breakdown of, you know, why these things sort of fascinate us. And I mean, he finally, finally brings it back to game design when he talks about how, you know, for instance, I think it was a, a MechWarrior game where the AI was pretty basic, but on occasion it would make a random choice. And because of that, people attributed much more intelligence to to the AI that w- than was actually there. And it's, you know, it's sort of just about our predilection for finding patterns in in randomness, I guess. And yeah, so I'll, I'll have to say that I think, you know, if you if you set out to intentionally, you know, make uh, an album that will line up perfectly with uh, When Harry Met Sally. It's definitely the movie I would pick. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm just reaching <laughs> No, no, that's good. I love it. But uh, yeah. Boss Baby. Oh, Boss Baby. Boss Baby 2. You're, you, you, you've just bested me. I, I can't top Boss Baby 2. <laughs> It's uh, it is one more. So yeah, I haven't seen Boss Baby two, but Jim, you must surely know that I'm like a Boss Baby is actually good truther, right? That's I, that's probably why I thought of it. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I think Boss Baby is actually a good movie that was mismarketed. Largely good. It has some serious flaws. But... I have not seen either. <laughs> yeah. So I was talking about the Brian Moriarty talk, The Secret of Psalm forty six, but it looks hmm. like there's a separate talk. Called Who Buried Paul, right? Yes, which I guess covers a lot of the same material. Yeah, it probably covers a lot of the same ground, but um, yeah, just a really uh, great talk. But yeah, like the idea of just take any album and any movie, play them together, and you've got basically the equivalent of a tarot reading. Find interesting patterns in here. I will say there was, I believe, one point where um, in the um, Hobbit Dope Dope Smoker edition. I think it's when the hobbits, when uh, Bilbo and the dwarves are escaping from uh, from from the elves. They're you know inside the wine barrels and they're sort of floating down the river to to Lake Town. Um, and I think there was one point where a wave crashed against uh, just some rocks on the side of the river, and there may have been a symbol crash at the at the same time. Um, I think that was possibly the only moment where I was like, oh hey, look at that. <laughs> So that was great stuff. Yeah, you need to work on your stretching pattern matching, just like yeah. desperate for any sort of connection between these two things. Yeah, get really into Kabbalah. Maybe you weren't stoned enough. Mm. Next time, next time. It's available for free online, so go for it. <laughs> Are you ready for another topic? Sure. Uh, my topic is Gato Gonzalez and the Guts Pose. Is this a Berserk thing? Because I know about Berserk now. Uh, no, but perhaps you can discuss that. Um, maybe it's related. Okay. Uh, so I was reading about the localization of Gato's song in Chrono Trigger. Uh, and it turns out that in the original game, uh, that character was named Gonzalez after Mexican boxer Rodolfo, Rodolfo Gato Gonzalez. 
uh, who lost the WZBC championship to Guts Ishimatsu in 1974. Uh, and this was a big deal in Japan. Apparently, this was a, a kind of an upset win. And everybody was – there was a lot of, like, nationalistic fervor about it. Uh, Guts became a celebrity. And he did this – apparently, this weird victory pose involving f- fist pumps that uh, kind of became his – in many ways, his legacy. Like, anytime you see a video game character doing, like, a power pose or a victory pose – um, in Japan, they call that a guts pose. Gonzalez, uh, specifically, Gonzalez's legacy in Japan is that very often, like, particularly tough enemies in video games will be named Gonzalez. What an honor. Yeah. And I watched, like, half an hour of, of boxing matches on YouTube trying to find video of guts doing the guts pose, and I couldn't find it. <laughs> And it may be that, like, no one knows what it looks like anymore because if you, like, do an Im- image search for Guts Pose, everybody does different things. Usually it has a fist pump in it, but, like, you know, it could be, like, a bodybuilder flex or, you know, it, lo- lots of things are called Guts Pose. And I thought that was, like, the, the basically his his legacy is not this particular pose, but that they renamed the concept of the victory pose after him. That's fascinating. Mm, I think that's beautiful. I think it's particularly beautiful that you can't find the original anymore. Oh, exactly. Like, it it belongs to the community now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wikipedia described it as, or quoting somebody, a peculiar pose he struck after winning fights or he would pump his fist up and down in the air, which makes it just sound like a fist pump. But later on, like, when asked about this, he said that, uh, I can't remember exactly, but it was like his left hand is expressing his gratitude for the crowd and his right hand is uh, is expressing his own satisfaction or something like that. Damn, that's complicated. Yeah. This must have been a really cool fist pump. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just picturing um, Henry Cavill reloading his fists in that one Mission Impossible gif. Yeah. <laughs> but that's 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 all I've got. Is it is it just like, I mean, is it just like an arm curve? Well, whatever. We don't know, I guess. It's, it's a mystery. But I really do appreciate that. Like, everyone has their own version of it now. Um and you know the the author is dead, um, but it's just again it, it's a communal um, sort of unconscious symbol, right? Yeah, I think that's that's great. I like how in Mario Odyssey, when you get a moon and Mario does a guts pose, his hand can be in one of three positions, and you can play rock paper scissors trying to guess which one he's going to do. Hmm, interesting. Okay, so it's it's random on every star, like if you get the same star again, or moon, whatever. As far as I know, it's random every time you pick up a moon, or even one you've already collected before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, it's a bit like um, in uh, Animal Crossing uh, New Horizons on the Switch there. Um, at the beginning of every day, uh, Isabel will sort of uh, speak to you and give you a, a summary of like you know anything interesting that's happening that day. Um, and when she signs off and lets you go run around the island... Um, she also has like one of three poses. Like she'll either look just blankly at the camera. She'll sort of, uh, throw her head back and, and smile, uh, uh, very joyfully. Or she just does this little like head tilt, like a very sort of cute little, like mm-hmm. little, little he- head tilt to send you off. And it's, uh, it's very cute. That's the one I, I always hope for. Um, that, that, you know, uh, gets me in the right mood to, I don't know, dig up rocks or whatever. Right. Yeah. The, the one where she just like stares blankly into the camera is a bit unnerving. Um, <laughs> but uh i don't know yeah i guess you know it, it gives gives a little bit of spice um that, that randomness so i like that that's that's the one where it turns out you're actually playing silent hill <laughs> laura do you want to tell us about berserk does it have anything to do with this mm. well you said guts so i was wondering if this was about mr guts berserk the hero of berserk I wonder if Guts Berserk is named after guts yeah that's that's what i was wondering now after you've told this story because guts is a immense hard ass he's just like able to find victory over anything and endure anything right so perhaps he's um named after a great hero in real life i i genuinely don't know i read all of berserk recently highly recommend it i know um uh some of my friends recently adopted a uh a main coon i know those same people yeah yeah Yeah. and they named they named the cat guts yeah I, th- I think specifically in this case after Berserk. Obviously. Yes, yeah, <laughs> okay, because right. their cat's yeah. uh, got stripe- stripes on its face that look like Guts' haircut. 
I actually didn't know that. The reason why I read Berserk was because of those same people. But yeah, it's uh, it's a great book. Great bunch of books. It's actually a very large number of books, but it's but it's worth it. Uh, how long did it take you to get through it? Well, I wasn't doing much else with my life, so like a month and a half. Okay. Yeah. So this is a this is a big time investment then. Well, I mean, if you want to read a little bit of something every night, it's a it's a good thing. Sure, to sure. Yeah. I was also reading it because uh, Elden Ring is essentially Berserk fan fiction, Whoa. and I've been playing a lot oh, of Elden Ring. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of extremely direct references to the Berserk comics in Elden Ring. Um, the Erd Tree itself is sort of a visual reference to a, a very large tree thing in Berserk. Uh, there's individual weapons that reference the comic directly. There's a couple bosses that look a lot like guts or that move or act like guts. Malaketh the Black Blade is sort of a d- definitely an homage to or partially inspired by um, something that guts does uh, when he's wearing certain clothes that look a lot like Malaketh's kit. Yeah, if if you want to understand and enjoy Elden Ring in a new way, I uh, highly recommend reading berserk and it's it's not that elden ring is sort of like copying stuff from berserk it's more like it's in conversation with berserk we'll say there's a lot of um, yeah. themes from the comic that it treats uh respectfully and interestingly so i really does anyone do the the guts pose in elden ring i don't know um i mean you've you've got uh that whole gesture system right so one of them has to be a guts definitely pose. yeah we, but we just call it guts pose would you? I would. I would call uh, the praise the sun gesture a guts pose. Yeah, yeah. It's it's maybe the most recognizable uh, guts pose that gamers have, right? Yeah. Very sort of tangent, but like, yeah, my my experience with wrestling is extremely limited. But um, I was at uh, the Montreal Screw Job, which is where Bret the Hitman Hart uh, decided to quit the WWF, as it was at the time. Just sort of speaking of this um, famous uh, Japanese wrestling match um, and the the upset win. Um, yeah, this happened. I, I can't remember. It was ninety three or something. You were there physically. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I had no idea what was going on. I I didn't really follow wrestling. Uh, it would be on in the background when I'd visit, you know, my friends or something. Um, I I knew who Bret Hart was, um, but we were way 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 up uh, in the in the nosebleeds. And I do have you know I tried to take pictures with. Um, you know, a real junky little boxy camera, but I, I think the flash just like reflected off that head of the guy in front of me, so you can't really see anything. That's incredible. <laughs> That's a very famous thing. That's all. Yeah, I, I've read about it. Yeah, I, I so I mean, like I, I knew it really did. It felt like something had gone wrong, um, and I remember like Bret Hart was sort of gesturing at the crowd, and I didn't really know what he was what he was doing. It, it turns out later, like he was spelling out WCW uh, just oh, with his finger in the right. air. Because he was he was gonna uh, leave the WWF, um, but yeah, at, at the time I was just like, well, this feels kind of weird. Like, you know, he's he's the hometown hero. He was facing Shawn Michaels, an American, so they were playing off of that rivalry quite a bit. Because um, I'm in Montreal, um, and uh, yeah, I just sort of felt weird. Uh, this real weird energy um, at the end of that, um, and honestly, it was multiple, maybe like a decade later when I finally heard the term Montreal screw job, and I was like, oh, I was there, like. I, <laughs> I finally have context for this. Um, That's very cool. And uh, yeah, it was. Um, I can sh- I can upload a picture to for the podcast notes so you can see the head of the guy in front of me. Cool. Yeah, yeah. I would love to love to include that. Uh, have you ever tried to find yourself like in? If you if, is there like footage of this on YouTube? You can find yourself in the crowd. Oh, there. I'm I'm sure there's footage. Uh, there is literally no chance that I would appear in uh, anything. I mean, I'm pretty sure we were behind all the cameras. Okay. We were nowhere near the uh, the ring, but that was my um my one uh my one wrestling story, <laughs> and your one guts pose story. Mm-hmm. Are we uh, are we ready for another topic? Sure. Yeah. Uh, for this topic, we're going to be reading the poem "The Fish" by Elizabeth Bishop. Oh yeah. Uh, who would like to read this poem? Well, I I brought it, but um, if you'd like to read it, you can. It's a great poem. I'll I'll, I'll read it. I caught a tremendous fish and held him beside the boat half out of water with my hook, fast in a corner of his mouth. He didn't fight. He hadn't fought at all. He hung a grunting weight, battered and venerable and homely. Here and there, his brown skin hung in strips like ancient wallpaper, and its pattern of darker brown was like wallpaper, shapes like full-blown roses stained and lost through age. 
He was speckled with barnacles, fine rosettes of lime, and infested with tiny white sea lice, and underneath two or three rags of green weed hung down. While his gills were breathing in the terrible oxygen, the frightening gills, fresh and crisp with blood, that can cut so badly, I thought of the coarse white flesh packed in like feathers, the big bones and the little bones, the dramatic reds and blacks of his shiny entrails, and the pink swim bladder like a big peony. I looked into his eyes, which were far larger than mine, but shallower and yellowed, the irises backed and packed with tarnished tinfoil seen through the lenses of old scratched isinglass. They shifted a little, but not to return my stare. It was more like the tipping of an object toward the light. I admired his sullen face, the mechanism of his jaw, and then I saw that from his lower lip, if you could call it a lip, grim, wet, and weapon-like, hung five old pieces of fish line, or four in a wire leader with the swivel still attached, with all their five big hooks grown firmly in his mouth, a green line frayed at the end where he broke it, two heavier lines and a fine black thread, still crimped from the strain and snap when it broke and he got away, like metals with their ribbons frayed and wavering, a five-haired beard of wisdom trailing from his aching jaw. I stared and stared, and victory filled up the little rented boat, from the pool of bilge where oil had spread a rainbow around the rusted engine, to the baler-rusted orange, the sun-cracked thwarts, the oarlocks on their strings, the gunnels, until everything was rainbow, rainbow, rainbow. And I let the fish go. So, I feel like I did a good job reading this, and I like looking at the text of it, like the shape of it and the words, I would not have expected myself to, so... I'm going to credit Elizabeth Bishop for writing something that flows really well through the mouth. Yeah. Good mouthfeel. It's got yeah. a fantastic mouthfeel. It's just a really, really good sensory description of a fish. I liked it a lot. Yeah. No, this is this is just from a word choice standpoint, I would say this is tremendously well done. Like great, great words, great phrases. Reading it, I didn't really have the mental energy to try to take in more than that. So I couldn't tell you whether like whether at, at, at a larger scale, it's good. It doesn't have to be right. Like, I mean, sure, the act sure. of reading it can be, can be everything. I was just going to say like, I mean, it, it's extremely tactile. Like every, you know, she like zooms in on everything she mentions. Um, just like the, the slick of oil in the boat, the ancient wallpaper skin. I don't know, like everything, everything has its moment, which I really like. Um, and I mean, like you said, it's just sort of beautifully described. This was yeah. one of the, uh, I think I talked about this last time I brought a poem. I took a class on modern American poets in college where the final was I had to identify the authors of 100 poems I had not seen before. Oh, yeah. Uh, like just out of your brain. You just had to know who wrote them based on what they were like. And uh, Elizabeth Bishop was a was a fun one to ID because she's just super, super good at uh, like like visual and sensory description and... Make, making you see this fish like I've been fishing one time and it was it was not a cool experience you know like <laughs> uh, we caught a fish and, while my dad was in the bathroom and then started screaming our heads off because we didn't know what to do with it yeah and this sort of like takes things that you have you might be more familiar with and and more comfortable with and sort of you know transports you into the experience of being proud of catching this ancient wise fish you know and the colors are great. I think the colors are, are really impressive, uh, the way she describes them. And it's just a super, super nice poem. I, I noticed, anyway, some emphasis on, on just the qualities of the, the light and the way the reflections hit um, just various things in the, in the scene. And I, just, I really like that. Yeah. It's like, oh, you like poetry? Well, name five poems by Elizabeth Bishop without having read I them. had to do that. <laughs> and the, the thing is that the, the teacher, like, like my, my professor for that class was so good at breaking down, like, all these different movements and, like, different people who are in those movements I don't want to brag. I got a hundred on that test. I identified all one hundred poems correctly. And, <laughs> nice, like, nice. To Incredible. me, it was not hard. I know that like it wasn't an easy test, but like she gave us all the tools to learn how to do that, and I really enjoyed sort of like learning to identify these different people and tell them apart and um, figure out what movement they were in based on stuff they were mm-hmm. doing. And I I remember Elizabeth Bishop was one of my uh, favorite poets that I encountered in that class because. It's just super interesting, chilled, well-written stuff. Loved it. I, I yeah, I mean, I'm I'm like super jealous because I I really 
one thing that I, I wish I could get more into is just like a, an appreciation of art history and art movements and just sort of, like you said, breaking down, you know, any, any piece, not just poetry, but you know, like the, what is it? There's a sound, um, the podcast, uh, song explorer, yes. you know, something yeah. like that. Where you just sort of like learn how all these components interact and form the larger whole. Um, I think that like, that is super fascinating. I just, um, haven't carved out the time to actually like learn that in any particular, you know, field but really got to have a reason to do it because it's it takes so much time <laughs> to to learn about these right things. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but it sounds like this this teacher was a really just fantastic and you know motivational person so i i, I envy you that it sounds uh sounds real good i was wondering actually um does this you know would you have been able to identify this as an elizabeth bishop uh poem without having seen it back first? in the day probably i can no longer do that you know like at, sure. at the time it was like I had been spending like hours every week, like focusing on this stuff, and I I can't do it anymore. Um, yeah, you discovered video games. I was discovering <laughs> video games, like video game crit and stuff, at the same time that I was doing this stuff. Like I don't know how long ago this was now, like thirteen years ago. But um, yeah, at at the time, maybe I could have. I would have to go back and reread all of the poems that I was reading by her at the time, but I remember this one being just like a really good example and like, you know, right down the middle of like some of the best stuff she could do. Would you say she, she always has like this sort of, I don't know the, the right terms, this sort of meter. Obviously there's no specific rhyming scheme here. Not that there has to be. I don't remember whether they were all in this format, but I do remember that like she was really, really good at those like sensory descriptions. and Right. I'm going to copy this poem into my um, archive of poetry. It's, uh, it's a good one. Do you have a? Is this something that like Gen Z laughs at people for doing, like having porn on your hard drive? <laughs> my tax documents, of course. <laughs> like you could just have a poem on the internet and read it there, but you have to have it in your archive. Right. Well, I mean, like you know, um, in my archive, I can I can uh, highlight things, I can tag things. No, which yeah, is very important for me. Um, I think Pornhub has a tagging system now. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. Um, and I, yeah, didn't I don't know if this is like a Internet Explorer um, experiment, but wasn't Microsoft trying to do this thing where you could like draw on websites um, and possibly even share that, which just sounds like a horrible. Idea. I used a browser plugin. This would have been like I think in the late '90s that allowed you to write markup on any website and anybody else using that plugin would also see it. I remember something like this. I think there was more than one thing that did this, right? I I, I bet you're right. Um because it's a it's a good idea or a fun idea anyway. Uh and probably not too hard to implement. Uh in practice the only thing I ever found that that had markup on it was uh whitehouse.gov and it was just people <laughs> criticizing, like, oh, I can't believe this, this, the web design on this whitehouse.gov. <laughs> really stick it to the libs on that one. But I was talking to a friend, I can't remember who it was, about um, a similar service or a similar plugin that they made just for their community. Uh, and the big win that they had with that plugin was when the community's forum was down. They could still add the markup, little tags, using that browser plugin, and they recreated the layout of the forum using those tags uh, and had conversations in there. I thought that was really good. I'm very much for like the uh, the bottom-up approach, I guess. Um, Microsoft just tended to sort of kill things with their 90s dad, um, this-is-good-for-you approach to things, I feel. <laughs> right. Are we, uh, are we ready for another topic? Yeah. Nick, your topic is Twitter's UI has changed top three and top fives into top four. Right. So um, I was just thinking back, you know, like back in the day, people would say like, oh, you know, what are your uh, top three favorite books for a holiday? Or what are your, you know, top five uh, vacations that you've taken? Um, and recently, and actually, I, I, I guess I'm sort of in the middle of this. Um, uh, my partner is out of town for, for the week, so I'm eating like an idiot. I'm having nachos every night at different places. It's not even for a purpose. It's just like I want to. Um, <laughs> and I realized that like I planned it out so that I would have like four nights and four different places with four different nacho meals. And I sort of thought to myself, well, why is it four? And I said, well, of course, it's four because in Twitter, there's four 
images you can attach to a post. And so therefore, that's why I want to do things in fours. And similarly, you know, at the end of um, a year, you know, a lot of people post their um, uh, books of the year, or movies of the year, games of the year, whatever. And I realize that that too has sort of become multiples of four. Um, you know, I'll maybe put like eight or 12 um, posts of, of books or something that I read over the year. And again, it's just like, this is just a choice that some UI designer or, you know, maybe there's a technical reason that they, they chose specifically the number, number four for the number of photos you can attach to a, to a tweet. I really think it's just because like a two by two grid looks good. Mm. Sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like that's, that's, it could be, it's probably as simple as that. Um, I know, you know, like other services like on Mastodon, they also just put four. Um, and it does, yeah, I mean, definitely does lay out nicely and, and simply, but it just sort of like this fairly innocuous uh, interface decision has now like impacted the way I frame things for myself. Right. And I mean, it's not a, a new revelation, obviously that people have talked about this for a long time. I don't know if there's a name for it. Yeah. Sure there's... It is a specific example though. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. I don't have anything quite as, as dramatic as that, but I remember I don't use Instagram anymore just because it was taking up too much of my mental energy. I don't have, I don't have it on my phone or Twitter on my phone anymore, but, um, Back when I did, and I would post images, I would post them in groups of four because that's how you do it on Twitter. Like that's really why I think that's why I did it. And I don't know if you if you go to someone who who is not on Twitter, and you know, you say like, "Hey, what are your uh, top four favorite sandwiches?" They just sort of look at you weird, like, "What are you talking about? Four? <laughs> it's a, I need to be able to lay them out in a grid. Yeah, I need to take pictures and share them." I don't frequently share my top anythings on any platform because I, mm. I'm very bad at thinking of things that way. In the past, when I've shared top things, I, I tended to do a list with one in each, but also that was because I was prob I was not putting images with them either. This is interesting to think about. Think about. I'm, I'm pretty resistant to sharing lists of these things in this way on Twitter, and so I, I haven't actually brought it over to any other plat platforms. Right. It's also, I mean, it doesn't have to be like, you know, a top list of anything. Like this could just be, um, you know, this is stuff that I did on the weekend. Um, and you think like, oh, you know, I have five photos of, like, oh, yeah. you know, these five different things that I did, but God, one of them has to go because it's got to be four. <laughs> or you can do four and then yeah. you do a second, a second tweet with the funniest one and then you, you tell a joke about it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> UI. It's a hell of a thing. It's controlling how we how we love things in the world. No, for real. I, I was talking about this uh, with my partner, like, um, again, just to bring it back to Animal Crossing, right? Like the, uh, you know, very often you have to craft things in the newest Animal Crossing. And um, sometimes you have to craft multiple things uh, to, you know, combine them into a larger thing. You know, but let's say you want to craft, I don't know, um, 10 chairs to put around a, a bunch of tables. You have to craft each one individually and to speed up the process, you have to sort of mash the button while your character is animating. You know, you speed up the animation by just mashing the button. And yeah, I guess maybe it's sort of like a fun little thing you can do. It sort of keeps the person engaged because they're actually like building faster by mashing the button. But a lot of people brought up the point that like, this is a recipe for repetitive stress injuries, right? Um, and a lot of people do have these things and just sort of can't engage in that part of the game anymore because the UI is just not built to accommodate that. Um, so it's it's kind of wild how, I don't know, some of these innocuous decisions have really bizarre, unexpected knock-on effects. Yeah. Do you remember um, the thing where in the first Mario Party game, there was there were mini-games where the you were supposed to rotate the joystick really fast, and the optimal way to do this, I don't think the game actually told you to do it this way, but like players very quickly worked out that the optimal way to do this was to put the joystick on your palm and move your palm around. Yes. And yeah. people were getting like hand injuries doing this. They would like get, get burns on the center of their palm. And Nintendo's solution to this was to, you could, you could write to them and they would send you a pair of gloves. Oh my God. <laughs> so, so you problem solved. Yeah. And I guess the solution for Animal Crossing is to give you a controller with a turbo button. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know. In a perfect world, they would say, like, you know, you choose the thing you want to craft, and if you have the materials, you just say, you know, make me six of them. Yeah. Um, instead of doing each one individually, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, I remember being very indignant about this in, like, 
when when the Pokemon Go came out and people were like everybody was playing this game so of course some people were like walking into traffic or like trespassing and hurting themselves mm. mm-hmm. they, they they addressed this by like like having a pop up before you could play saying don't walk into traffic yes yeah they huh. still have that right yeah <laughs> oh that's great <laughs> and i really feel like it's important to like take responsibility for your game design I really feel like they could have done something about like people not paying attention to the world around them while they're playing a walking around game. Or, yeah, like avoid busy streets. Like that is something they surely have data on, right? That they can presumably work around. They do some of this. Yeah, or e- even just something as simple as like at at least at the time the game really encouraged you to have your phone out and look at it the entire time. It still does, yeah. And they could have encouraged you to like to, to turn the screen off. They could have added incentives for that. Yeah, so I'll, I'll be honest, I've been playing Pokemon Go the entire time since 2016, and I still play it. Yeah. So there, there are a couple things that it does do to encourage you to put your phone down while you're walking around. There's a screensaver uh-huh. mode that you can turn on when your phone is not in the holding position. So for example, there's a, a mode in the game where if you put your hand down and the screen is pointing down or the phone is upside down, then the screen will, will darken and it will save battery life. I, was, I, I knew that feature was there. I didn't know what it was for. Yeah, so I found that this motivates me to hold the phone down whenever I'm not using it because the game is very battery intensive and that makes it last longer. Unfortunately, so, so like they have been trying to make other games, like Niantic has been trying to make other games that don't require you to have the phone out the entire time. And they've all been like less successful, right? Um, the Pikmin game didn't require you to have your phone out the entire time. In fact, there was just less that you could do. And it, it seems to be a pattern that like the less that there is for you to do in the game, it, the easier it is to put your phone down. In Pokemon Go, there's a very large number of very granular tasks you could be performing at any given time. You could right. complete all of the tasks that have to do with where you are, but you will still have tasks related to the Pokemon in your collection, right? Like, you might uh, no longer have anything around you that you can interact with, but you might find yourself still holding the game out so that you can take care of the Pokemon that you have. And I've always wondered whether there's a impossible to erase tension between, you know, doing things while you're walking around on your phone and having things to do in the game at all, right? The, the games where you have nothing to do are the ones where you can fully put it down. Um, the Pikmin game was like this. <laughs> I, I didn't enjoy it as much. You know, there's there simply less to do in that game. So yeah, they're they're trying. I do think at some point, however, like particularly when it comes to walking across a road with your phone out, it's not just that Pokemon Go is encouraging you to walk around with your phone out. It's that literally everything on your phone uh, induces you to walk around yeah. with your phone out. And when when you finally get down to it, I'm I'm not entirely sure that we can hold Pokemon Go responsible for people playing Pokemon Go while crossing the street. You know, it doesn't take long to cross the street. Uh, there's no gameplay tasks that require you to play while crossing a street. Pokemon spawn more often in, you know, like places that are, that are marked as a location, right? And those tend to not be streets. They tend to be buildings or things inside buildings or something in a park. Um, and they do in fact remove the, the ones that are in places where I, I guess you could broadly say society benefits from Pokemon Go not being played. So for example, a school. I think the way they handle that is just like if they get any requests to remove a Pokestop, they'll do it. Yes, pretty much. And they also don't accept anything in schools. I, I have also participated in the Pokestop review process. Mm, yeah. Wow. And uh, there is a whole list of incredibly complicated rules you're supposed to follow about which things to approve and which not to approve. And you are you are <laughs> not to approve schools. You're not to approve churches that have preschools in them. Uh, places where children are supposed to be learning are not supposed to have Pokestops in them. But yeah, like I, I, I agree. Pokemon Go definitely encouraged some people to walk into traffic while playing Pokemon Go. But I think the lesson to be learned is probably just not to play anything on your phone while crossing the street. Yeah, I can get behind that. It's probably sound advice. It did remind me a bit, um, and I don't know if this is apocryphal. It sounds apparently when the Virtual Boy uh, was first being designed. Um, they had a model that you could just wear on your head like a, a you know modern day uh, yeah. VR headset but apparently it's this you know monochrome red and black apparently some people just really had like essentially just seizures like you know uh, photosensitive uh, seizures like looking at this thing and then just would not you know would would sort of fall over 
and then wake up again and then still have this thing in their face. Oh, and Jesus. The problem would compound itself. So they changed the design to be like, it's on a stand and you put your head towards it. So if anything bad happens, you fall away from the headset. So yeah. again, it's like, I don't know if this is really <laughs> the solution we want to go for. But again, this may be apocryphal. The apocryphal story that I heard was that some executive realized that like kids were going to be running that around the house with this helmet on, mm. not being able to see. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, these are two, I would say good reasons to not ship the, the virtual boy as a helmet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at least now we have the chaperone systems that all the uh, VR headsets have, right? <laughs> uh, is, is that a, is that an actual feature or is that a joke? I think there is like a little wall of little blue lines that surrounds you if you get too close to it, at least in yeah. the Vive when I was playing it yep. around when it first came out. But I think you also have to like set it up properly. Um, and I, I don't know if there's any sort of like integration into the games that you're playing or not, but um, I do recall that like I had, I have it set up in my room, um, but it seems to be kind of flaky whether or not it actually, you know, triggers in game or not. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's up to the game. Are we uh, are we ready for another topic? Laura, your topic. Every Monday, when you wake up in the morning, you discover you have grown exactly one millimeter taller. This continues throughout your life, so you will grow about 5.6 centimeters per year for the rest of time you are alive. Of the time you are alive, in 10 years, you will be 1.8 feet taller than you are now. If you are 30 years old right now, you will be 7.3 feet taller when you reach 70. If you are 5.5 feet tall now, you will be 7 feet tall in just over eight years. At which point, you will start to look really weird. How does this change your life? What do you do about it? There is no cure for this condition because it's caused by magic, not science. And there is no counter curse. I wrote this one a real long time ago and had forgotten about it. But yeah, what if you get too tall? What then? Because it's magic, I'm going to assume you don't have like the the blood circulation problems or whatever it is that causes giants to die young. Yeah, you're just yeah. getting tall. You're just growing larger. So and this is just you, right? It's not like a society-wide thing. I suppose a, one answer could be this is fine with me, but only if I have some friends who are also becoming too tall. Mm. <laughs> you can live on your own tall ranch or something. Yeah. If it's just me, I could become a movie star. I could be in all the weird horror movies. That's cool. You would have an advantage, yeah. Yeah. Some uh, basketball teams could, like, pay you big bucks now or, like, get you on a really long contract. Oh, yeah. They would They would love me eventually. Yeah, it's like, I'm not good now, but you give me 10 years and I will just <laughs> tower over everybody. Yeah. You have that long to learn basketball. <laughs> yeah. I could just hold the ball over everybody's head. I don't need to learn how to play. Yeah. No problem. I'm pretty sure that's how basketball works, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. As long as you keep the ball away from other players, <laughs> it means you win. Just a really, really boring game of keep away at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> I wouldn't like to continuously grow taller. I like being one height because it means I don't have to replace my clothes. You know, mm. I think there's a lot of small inconvenient things about growing continuously taller that I would really dislike. Um, yeah. It might be fun to be really big because you could do things that other people cannot. So, for example, um, if you were very big and tall and strong, you could, I I don't know, climb up a cliff that other people can't, right? Yeah. You could go live on a mountaintop as as some kind of cryptic giant. That would be cool. Uh, Oh, yeah. I would love to be a cryptid. Yes. Uh, I would not like having to replace my clothes. I want to be a part-time cryptid. Like, I want other people to know who I am. You want people to be like... Oh, if you head down that road, you'll find Jim in his 2.5 times house that he lives in. That's right, but if no one explains who I, I am, then I'm a cryptid and I'm just terrifying. That's yeah. true. But you want to be pseudo-cryptid? Like, not threatening, but still kind of weird and unknowable? I kind of already am that. What if that but more, though? Well, last time I saw him, he was six feet tall, but it, that was five years ago, so who knows <laughs> yeah. at this point. <laughs> But yeah, I guess I mean like you would have to because I was thinking I was thinking of the um the tall guy in The Simpsons uh, that Nelson makes fun of, and then because uh, he's he's driving a really small car. Pardon me, you couldn't make a purchase of a car like that because you know that like I'm going to outgrow a car. Yeah, I mean definitely like, there's minor inconveniences, and also like you would have to like you know what are you going to do for a bed? Like you're going to outgrow every single bed. Like no purchase that you make 
that I guess in any way accommodates your body is going to stick. Yeah, I would start renting everything. You would yeah. need to constantly move into bigger and bigger houses, and eventually you would need a house constructed for yourself. Yeah. Imagine if you yeah. come, go on hard times, and you're 10 feet tall, and you're also retired, because you're quite old, mm-hmm. and you have to live in a normal person's house, you have to like be curled up in a ball all the time. You have to sit cross-legged on the floor of your of your living room, like right in the middle with no furniture. Doesn't that sound fun? <laughs> I guess, I mean, if you're a cryptid, you can sort of just find a cave. That would be kind of fun to live in a cave. <laughs> for, for a moment, but maybe not a sweet retirement home. I don't know. Yeah. What I would do is I would get I would get a bunch of shirts that can combine to form a bigger shirt so I could wear them one size and then as I get bigger I could I could combine them together so they form a mega shirt over my new body like a Voltron shirt yeah yeah and I would do the same thing with the caves where like I'd have a bunch of caves and when I got too big for the caves I could put the caves together to form a bigger cave it's mm. <laughs> just like what was it um CSG, right? What is it? Construct- Solid geometry, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like intersect caves, and that's how that works. Yeah, yeah. Or I guess union, yeah. yeah. Anyway. This world has curses in it. We can definitely do CSG with caves. Absolutely. And shirts. Modular clothes that cover more and more of you as you grow inexorably larger. I mean, I guess, like, another question this ask this, this sort of leads to is that, you know, do you just straight up grow vertically, or do does your whole body scale accordingly? Because if you're just growing vertically, you know, if, if you have, like, a knitted sweater, you can just knit more at the bottom, like, more and more rings at the bottom as you grow yeah, taller. but you would also become, like, a wisp of a person. You would become very frightening. Yeah, which it just kind of sounds amazing. Um, a wisp of a person with just like this eternal tube sweater. Yeah, that would be cool. You could sort of live near uh, farms and steal people's sheep to, you know, knit into your sweater. What I think would have to happen is that you would have to like, just you could do this exercise right now. You take a photo of yourself, load it into Photoshop, do content aware scale and make yourself taller. And those are your new proportions. You're assuming I have Photoshop. I am assuming that. I mean, you could always you could always pirate Photoshop. That might be step mm-hmm. zero. I think I would scale up. I don't think I would like to become a spaghetti, but I think I respect whoever wants to become a spaghetti. Well, yeah, I guess it also depends on how tall you are now. Like, if you ask someone who's like five foot about this, will their answer be different from someone who's already like six foot four or something? Yeah, yeah. Would would shorter people be more inclined to? Well, there's no deal here. You're just you're just foist, right. foisting it on them. <laughs> <laughs> well, because this is a hypothetical, we can talk about whether we would enjoy this or want this or not. I definitely don't want this. Yeah. This, this sounds awful. Except for the part about being a movie star. That would be cool. Yeah. Because, like, you know, you were saying, like, oh, what if you're um, 10 feet tall and unemployed? I'm like, man, you know, if you're 10 feet tall, you can find a job. Like, yeah. someone, someone's going to want to pay you money to do yeah, a thing. Yeah, Especially with my with movie career, I could go to, like, I could go to, like, go to like Comic-Con and cosplay as myself and everybody would love it. <laughs> you might remember him as the seven foot tall Jim in the Matrix Five, but now he's ten feet tall. <gasps> Even better, you get like free Comic Con coffee. Yeah, I'm actually kidding. I would hate being a movie star and being a, <laughs> and cosplaying at Comic Con. That would be awful too. Yeah, no, thank you. And that's all the time we have for topic lords, Laura. If this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, sure, you can find me on Twitter at L Michet, L-M-I-C-H-E-T. And w- once again, I'll say watch watch some movies by Johnny Toe. They're good. Cool. Uh, and Nick, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? My website, um, and I apologize for this, uh, the website is nicknicknicknick.net. Uh, you couldn't get nicknicknicknick.nick? Don't know if that exists as a top-level uh, domain. I thought about it, but... Um, <laughs> I thought .NET was funnier. This it I, is funny. Yeah. That is a yeah. It's a good goof. The, the problem is when I have to actually like read it out or speak it out out loud. Like I had a support issue with Nintendo once, and the guy <laughs> asked me like, you know, what is your user account email? And it's the email with with this thing. So I was like, oh, it's, it's Nick. Yes, at yes. Nick, 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 yes, dot net. So five Nicks. Well, just the four after the at. <laughs> so it was just the like, cool, yeah. who's on first thing. Anyway, Nick, 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 dot net uh, has all the links to all my social stuff there. So that's that's where we go. It's a prank you played on yourself. Yeah. Thanks so much for being on. Thank you. 
Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!